You're listening to Irish Radio Canada at Home and Abroad. And from time to time I get notice from Jimmy Laffey in County Galway about interesting talks that he and the team down there put together. And there was one recently, it was called A Class Quite Distinct, West of Ireland Herdsmen in the 19th Century. It was offering an insight into the lives of individuals who were in the employment of landlords throughout County Galway and indeed many of uh, whose descendants continue to live locally to the day. And Dr. John Cunningham gave the talk and I'm going to turn you over and let you listen to the proceedings. And I want to thank Jimmy Laffey for tremendous work and keeping me in the loop with these and I'm hopeful from time to time to be able to get some more of the wonderful material that comes from the West of Ireland. I'd like to welcome you all here um, tonight, especially our uh, guest speaker on, on my behalf and Becky's behalf and everybody and, and District, District and Heritage Group. Uh, what a fantastic turnout and thanks very much for everyone that has made the effort to come. I'd like to welcome John and his wife Mary is here as well uh, for taking up the invitation to attend and give the speech. Um, I really appreciate it. We have, uh, Becky have decided to do this to bring this to rural Ireland and keep rural Ireland alive. And uh, as you can see, it's very much alive. And, but uh, without further ado, uh, John Cunningham. Well, uh, thanks uh, to um, uh, Jimmy and Becky and to the uh, uh, Heritage Group uh, for the welcome uh, uh, to speak here uh, tonight. Um, A lot of what I'm saying uh, this evening is drawn from an article I wrote uh, some years ago. Um, I brought a few copies uh, with me of uh, photocopies, if anyone's interested in it. Uh, uh, later on, but I have only five or six, so, so uh, you have to fight for them, uh, or uh, copy from, from one another. I, like, I enjoy talking about um, herds and shepherds, uh, since I first became interested in them about uh, 25 years ago. It's an occupation that was largely uh, superseded, I suppose, by developments of about 100 years ago, but I find there's a strong identification uh, with the tradition in some families, um, because there's descendants of herds and uh, shepherds around the west of Ireland uh, in particular. And I usually learn a lot uh, when I come to do these talks from the questions I get and from talking to people afterwards about their own uh, family uh, uh, traditions. Uh, one person I learned a lot from about herds and, and, uh, about herds and shepherds uh, was my uh, late father-in-law, who uh, grew up not so far from here in Mullochmore West. Uh, they were a, a, a herding family there, the Glynns. Um, so uh, Tom Glynn, my father-in-law, helped me interpret a lot of the documents uh, that I came across when I became interested uh, in the subject. And in my own immediate family also, there were some uh, shepherds and uh, in Mrs. Green's uh, family uh, indeed. Uh, so uh, I just want to start by... Uh, um, with a photograph here before I go much further. There we are. Uh, so that's uh, my great grandfather, uh, who was a her and um, um, Mrs. Screen's grandfather, isn't that right? Uh, that's uh, uh, Brian Feeney of Corbelly um, Clumber uh, with family members, including my granny, the little girl there. 
So, uh, but what I really wanted to, to draw attention to, and it's something uh, with regard to the uh, occupation itself and the pride in which the families uh, took in their occupation to draw attention to the headstone here. That's my own mother and uh, my son. But um, in the, this is a um, grave slab, is in Lacca Cemetery. But uh, if, if a close look, uh, there's these symbols on it. I don't know how clear they are here. But they're essentially the tools of the shepherd's trade. What are the tools of the shepherd's trade? Crook. So they're on the, on the, the, the headstone of the man here who died in 1915 and uh, of a previous generation. Uh, there's also uh, the similar in the slab beside us uh, just here. Uh, so, um, and they have four uh, symbols here of, their, of the trade. In that particular uh, slab, the crook, uh, a dosing bottle, a shears and a brand, uh, which was the brand of the people they worked for, uh, who were uh, Blakes of Brook Lodge, I think. So uh, it's just uh, a, 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 an example close enough to me, uh, which illustrates something about uh, the strong sense these people had uh, of identification with their own, uh, with their own, uh, with their occupation. And there were a distinct group in rural Ireland. Most people were tenant farmers. These were a separate occupational group. They were employees, generally, uh, rather than tenant farmers in their own right. Most of them became tenant farmers about 100 years ago with the big transition uh, that took place uh, in, in that period. And I'll be talking about how that came about um, uh, towards the end of the talk, if that's okay. Can you hear me at the back? Yeah. Okay. So, rural Ireland, as we all know, changed profoundly about a century ago, in the early decades of the uh, 20th century. The protracted land war, which began in 1879, forced landlords and the British government uh, to give concessions uh, to tenant farmers, culminating in legislation of 1903 and 1909, which enabled the uh, farmers uh, to become the owners of their land during the following uh, decade or so. So in this process, a lot changed, changes in social attitudes and long established occupations, notably in this part of the world, uh, the occupation of shepherd or, 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 or herd uh, were wiped uh, out. Uh, so these are the people then that tended the flocks on the herds of the landlords, as well as those of graziers who rented land on the 11-month system. Now, skilled herds were in great demand in the uh, second half of the 19th uh, century. Uh, this is a period uh, in, the, in the half century or so after the famine. Uh, numbers of both cattle and sheep in Ireland doubled, just as the population of people halved, uh, if you wanted to, to think about it uh, uh, like that. So this uh, signifies a significant change in agricultural practice away from tillage and towards uh, uh, livestock uh, raising, which happened uh, during uh, that period. The shift uh, to um, pastoral agriculture uh, was uh, facilitated by the famine clearances, which made space for it, and also uh, by uh, the uh, encumbered estates legislation uh, of uh, the immediate post-famine uh, period. 
but it was also driven by demand. There was demand from England, which was urbanising uh, during the Industrial Revolution, growing urban population, more demand uh, for, uh, uh, for meat. You also have the repeal of the Corn Laws, which brought down the price of grain, uh, because uh, cheap grain could enter the then United Kingdom uh, from, uh, from the prairie-grown wheat from North America and so on uh, could uh, uh, enter uh, the market. Uh, this drove down grain prices and it made um, um, uh, 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 pastoral agriculture uh, 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 more, more profitable. <coughs> so uh, in the post-famine period there's a, 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 a shift uh, as I described Cattle raising, sheep raising, they're specialised enterprises. Generally, uh, uh, the, uh, the um, early stage of the operation, uh, the animals were reared in the West, uh, with the cattle in particular, sold on at fairs, in, uh, uh, such as the fair of Ballinasloe, and then fattened uh, for uh, the uh, uh, market in the Leinster counties. Now, the... the um, Change to um, uh, wasn't entirely approved of. Um, I have a quote here. You <coughs> find um, pastoral farming, especially large-scale pastoral farming, is uh, often criticised uh, by nationalists and by uh, economic reformers. Uh, this person down here is William Bolfin. Um, he was um, he's remembered for his book Cycles in Erin. He cycled all around Ireland in the very early years of the 20th century, wrote accounts of what he found in uh, uh, the newspaper Sinn Féin, Arthur Griffith's uh, uh, newspaper. Uh, so he's, this is uh, uh, his observations of East Galway, the Galway-Roscommon uh, border. Um, so he's tut-tutting the fact that all you can see is this open countryside, uh, there's no agriculture, no tillage, uh, no employment is what he's, what he's saying essentially. Away from our feet to the crest of the far off ridges, the public road stretches in a straight line across the valley, the valley between the stone walls, breast high, which separated from the silent fields on either side. On the broad pastures, the flocks and herds are scattered, browsing the rich grass which grows over many a usurped hearth. So he's basically saying this large-scale tillage, or this large-scale pasture farming is conducted on the, um, uh, on, on the spaces where uh, the, the, the dead of the famine uh, or the evicted people of the famine, the displaced people of the famine formerly made a living. So this is a common enough critique of uh, the type of, uh, of agriculture in which the herds were the employees um, and um, uh, in, in the early, uh, uh, in the early uh, 20th century. Uh, <coughs> now, so and the main reason for this critique is, or this type of criticism, is because pastoral farming, large-scale pastoral farming, gives relatively little work. One shepherd or herd could look after about 80 acres, uh, whereas if, if it was tillage, it might provide employment for for, for, for ten times uh, that number, five or six times uh, that number, uh, 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 certainly. Uh, grazing of the type that I've come to describe uh, wasn't popular among the smaller tenant farmers either because it drove up the price of land. Uh, 
so it made rents, uh, made rents more, uh, more expensive. Now, grazing, we associate, um, uh, I say, in the pre-famine period, certainly with, uh, with landlords uh, using part of their operation um, to raise animals. Uh, but it becomes increasingly <coughs> attractive in the post-famine period in the context I described uh, of um, uh, higher prices, demand from Britain and so on, uh, to shopkeepers and others who had uh, surplus capital. Uh, many of them entered this uh, sector on a speculative basis, renting untenanted land from landlords on, um, uh, uh, on the 11-month system and hoping to, make, um, uh, to turn a, a quick, uh, a quick uh, uh, profit. Probably the most successful of the graziers in County Galway was a man called uh, <coughs> Joseph Hardy. In the 1840s, he was a small um, um, uh, uh, mill owner in Clymer, I don't, between uh, Lockeray and, and uh, Portumna, not Clymer Daly, the other one, the far side. Um, he was renting 6,000 acres um, from a number of landlords, um, including uh, uh, the, 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 some of the major ones in the county, the Dunsandle estate and, 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 and some others. So by 19, uh, 1880, he had 6,000 acres. He wasn't a landlord himself, uh, but he was renting hundreds here and a few hundred there. So he, had, he occupied 6,000 uh, acres uh, in, in total. Um, so, uh, despite not owning any land, he was wealthy enough and uh, influential enough uh, to um, enter the gentry class, as it were, uh, becoming a, gent a, a justice of the peace and a grand juror, and a leading light in the Banmaslow Agricultural uh, Show Society. Now, if Hardy and people like him, and nobody else, uh, had land had uh, in the county had that much uh, grazing land. Generally, it would, people would be graziers uh, would have held some hundreds of acres rather than uh, rather than thousands. But it would have uh, would have uh, varied. But if they were to make um, this uh, uh, profitable, they didn't necessarily know a lot about livestock themselves. So they needed uh, people who were knowledgeable about uh, livestock. So this placed a premium on the skills of uh, the people we're talking about here tonight, uh, the, uh, the herdsmen. Uh, and they used their um, uh, leverage, uh, their scarcity, as it were, uh, to advantage uh, very successfully uh, in the uh, grazing parts of East Galway and in uh, and, and County Roscommon. And these are the places uh, where they're... Uh, most uh, uh, most numerous in uh, in Ireland, in fact, out of all of Ireland, we look at uh, some of the some uh, statistics there in, in in a few moments. Now, uh, one of the uh, features of their um, of their lives and uh, was um, the the sort of archaic working practices. That, uh, that, uh, uh, that surrounded uh, the occupation. Uh, and I'll get into that in a little bit of detail in a moment. They didn't work for a weekly wage, but I, I'll just get into what they did, how they did, uh, the conditions in which they uh, did work. Um, 
there's a quotation, uh, I think it was circulated in your publicity um, <coughs> for this uh, event um, uh, from an English agriculturalist uh, who said that the West of Ireland herds formed, and I quote, a class quite distinct from any employed in any of the English districts. Neither shepherds or bailiffs, and yet a compound of both. He's talking about the degree of responsibility they had in their uh, employment. Um, now, uh, we, to get into the detail of... Uh, yes, this is the quotation. I wasn't sure if I had it up on the slide. I didn't remember what I put it up on. So this is Roger Richards, who was uh, an agricultural expert uh, who visited Ireland on behalf of the Royal Commission on Labour in the 1890s. And he's talking about what he found. This is the moment, probably, when the shepherds um, and herds are at their most numerous in, in Ireland. Uh, before the uh, land reform uh, and after the kind of growth of grazing that, uh, that, 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 that uh, came after the famine. Can you read that at the back? Is that okay? Yeah. So I just want to uh, move on uh, to talk about the working conditions of uh, the herds, how they were paid. Uh, the terminology may be familiar to some people, uh, not uh, to others. Uh, the most important element of their pay was in the form of collops. Um, this is one of the several so-called freedoms that the herds enjoyed. Have, are people familiar with the term collop? Yeah. yeah. So it's used still, or uh, was until recently, in uh, relation to the division of commonage. Isn't that right, people? Uh, so a collop was the right to run a cow and her calf with the, to gra the grazing of a cow and her calf. So a herdsman earned so many collops depending on how much, um, how much land he was responsible for. Is that okay? That's one element of, of, the, of the pay. Uh, now, uh, <coughs> so there were also equivalents. There were kind of, uh, uh, so it was a cow and her calf or a mare and her foal three yearling calves, um, four yews with lambs. So there was kind of a formula uh, for a collop. Um, and I suppose there, probably, there presumably would have been in relation to commonage uh, as well as what the equivalent of a cow was um, in, in uh, relation to, to, to sheep and so on. Another word was used uh, in Roscommon. Uh, sum was the word, uh, was the equivalent of collop. I don't know, collop is the one that's familiar here, is it? Yeah, 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 okay. Uh, so, uh, but in Roscommon they use the word sum instead. Uh, now, uh, by the 1890s, payment of this time, there's other elements of, uh, of the herd's package, if you like, uh, pay package. Um, there's a, a, usually a tillage garden as well. And now this is not a garden as we understand a garden. Uh, it was usually several acres. Uh, so it was the tillage uh, which the herd had. Usually they expected it to be, uh, ex to be able to exchange it on a regular basis as it was run down, that they'd get a fresh uh, segment of, uh, of, of garden, as they called it. And then, of course, a house. Usually there might have been a small cash payment, but it was the, that was the minor part of, of the payment. The major part was the collop and the garden, and that's what they would have been uh, uh, haggling um, uh, about. Now, uh, so in a usually 
uh, heard uh, the prevailing rate, uh, say around the time I'm talking about here, the late 19th century, uh, would have been um, the um, uh, th uh, uh, three acres of a garden uh, and uh, two collops for 100 acres. So every 100 acres for which the person was responsible for, that was, the, that, that was what they earned. Um, now, in addition to that, the, and I'm quoting again from our friend Roger Richards, uh, the herd, according to his conscience or his worth, is allowed to throw in a few pigs, geese, poultry, etc. Uh, now, that's, that's only the start. <laughs> because the herd's animals ran with the masters, so uh, if you're given out the hay, uh, you're not going to be given it, uh, the lion's portion of it to the masters to begin that year old. And the master might, mightn't be too familiar with his own stock, so if a switch had to be made, <laughs> a switch might uh, be made. Again, depending, as Roger Richards said, depending on the conscience of the individual. Uh, of the individual. Uh, Roger Richards reported also that herds, and I quote again, have certainly the reputation for keeping the best horses, as I was assured uh, in the fair, I was in Ballinasloe, that all the long-tailed horses, uh, i.e. the best, were those of the herds. But a horse was essential uh, to the work of the, of the herdsmen, in any case, because they would be looking after uh, a, large, uh, a, large, um, a large area. So most herds then had a decent standard uh, of living, which was equal uh, to uh, that of a small to middling farmer, a, a reasonable-sized uh, farmer of the era. Uh, now, this, uh, this is kind of confirmed um, if you look at marriage patterns in rural Ireland. You find that herds and farming families intermarry, uh, with, you know, uh, all the time, whereas it's rare enough um, for farming families uh, to marry into with uh, intermarry with labouring families, so um, they were uh, a kind of a, um, a skilled uh, group in the in, in the rural uh, and reasonable uh, reasonably uh, reasonably well uh, well off and were considered the social equals of farmers as suggested by the intermarriage between the the, the two groups. Generally, herds and farmers got on. This is not always the case, as we see in a, in a, in a little while. Herds, because they dealt uh, with animals on a large scale. A small farmer had very few livestock to deal with. Herds were dealing with hundreds. Uh, so they developed and were known for their skills with animals. So they became kind of amateur vets in the community, uh, helping uh, uh, farmers as well with their own uh, with their own livestock, but of course, with the um, uh, with the kind of uh, rewards which they had, uh, there were responsibilities, and uh, the contracts of employments which they routinely signed uh, made herds liable for losses to to uh, their master stock, which was attributable to their own uh, ne negligence. There was a phrase uh, for this in the country which I heard from my father-in-law that I mentioned at the outset, uh, he recalled it, they were liable for damage caused by hogs, dogs, bogs and thieves. That was the phrase. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, they were, they were uh, if, if anything that was, uh, if the arm, they, 
animal fell down a drain or uh, if, um, if, if it was uh, attacked by foxes or, or whatever else, things of a response that, would, that might reasonably be expected, perhaps <coughs> not foxes, but certainly uh, uh, dogs are mentioned. Um, so um, I, I subsequently came across having heard it from uh, my father-in-law, so it was in the vernacular, if you like, uh, in the, in, well into the last century. Um, I came across the phrase subsequently in a government of inquir inquiry of the 1830s, uh, the poor inquiry, so it was used, uh, in, uh, used in testimony um, from several informants, uh, again in relation to Herds's, Herds's respons re responsibility. Now, with regard to the conditions that I describe, there are um, indications that these conditions are long established. The value of the, uh, 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 the, the, the collop, or colpoch in Irish, um, is defined in Graham uh, law, going back uh, uh, hundreds of years uh, before the time uh, that I'm uh, talking about. It's not precisely as it was in uh, 1894, but uh, kind of similar, uh, similar enough. And there are also, in Brehan Law, and I thank my colleague uh, Thobie O'Cronin uh, for that, um, it, it, there are definitions of the herd's responsibilities, which are kind of similar to what I set out there in relation to hogs, dogs, bogs, and, bogs and thieves. So these conditions are archaic, and uh, it's remarkable how some of them uh, passed down. Uh, through uh, the centuries. Just, uh, I, I'm going back a little bit now to the pre-famine period, if, uh, if, 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 if I may, uh, quoting a few sources from that period. In the 1820s, the agriculturalist uh, Healy Dutton, um, who studied, uh, wrote a book on County Galway, stated that because herds in the grazing districts of County Galway were, um, and the phrase he used, servants of some responsibility. Uh, they commonly had many indulgences, a house, a small garden, some tillage ground, and grass for a heifer, and generally keeping for a brood mare. So this is 60, 70 years before, uh, he, uh, before the Richard's um, uh, description uh, that, uh, that uh, Healy Dutton uh, kind of describes it in fairly uh, similar terms. Edward Wakefield, who was a contemporary of Healy Dutton's, uh, remarked also on the prosperity of the West of Ireland herds. This is back in the 1820s uh, or thereabouts. Um, he says, many of the herdsmen here are able to give their daughters, when married, 20 guineas and a feather bed, although the cabins in which they reside are apparently wretched and <laughs> seem to contain nothing but dirt, lumber and rags. But yeah. there was a few sovereigns under the dirty mattress. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, other, um, just moving on uh, to the uh, poor inquiry then, uh, in the mid-1830s, um, there are indications that such um, conditions as I described for herds were widespread in the grazing districts of, uh, of Ireland. Uh, that, in other words, grazing rights, uh, a garden, a tillage garden, a house, the liability for damage, uh, and so on. So certainly in Connacht, Leinster and North Munster, you find those type of uh, conditions applying. Now, I didn't expect for as many people as this. I did some a handout, and uh, I only did 25. So <laughs> <laughs> they're not going to get very far. Uh, but I'll, uh, I'll hand it out anyway. 
they're not really for you to look at now, those of you who are fortunate to win them in the raffle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're just something uh, to take home uh, with you um, and to look at later on. Essentially, um, this information about the 1830s uh, uh, comes from a large survey of poverty in Ireland, which was conducted prior to the establishment of the poor law system. Uh, so they asked questions about uh, work, working conditions, uh, and they were sent to every parish in the country. Uh, so there are, uh, one of the questions related to herds and their conditions, and the others related to other uh, rural labour. So I copied the page which related to this general area, uh, so they, um, and I'll be putting up the, the information that came from... Uh, 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 the, 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 the information in relation to herds just here, which you can look at, and uh, I'll hand out the rest. Okay, so just pass them around in some, we'll, uh, in some way. Children, we, can, we will have more print. We can yeah. have these, and there can be pictures here if anyone wants them. Yeah. We'll pick out more, maybe. Yes, yeah. not everybody may be interested in this small print. It's a questionnaire, and the yeah. answers from four local parishes yeah. to uh, that question in 1836. All of the answers came from clergymen, three Catholic clergymen as far as I know. Uh, I'm not sure about Reverend Robert Cage in Castle Blakeney. I suspect he may have been Church of Ireland. But I, I, I don't know that. Uh, can you read all of this uh, um, uh, a little bit back? Anyway, it kind of confirms what I'm talking about with regard to the uh, long-established nature of the herd's conditions and that they pertained here in these parishes around uh, in 1835. Uh, for, uh, Rob, uh, this is the question here. Up on what terms are herds usually employed in your parish? Two acres of land and the grass of a cow or more? And uh, as the extent of the farm may be. So for um, a herd who had was responsible for 300 acres, you can treble, treble, treble that. Is this all clear enough? Yeah. Yeah. And you can still hear me at the back, even though I'm getting a bit hoarse. I might get some water. They circulated a questionnaire around the country and uh, it went to magistrates, clergy. Uh, they didn't all go to clergymen, but the ones from this part of the world all went to, to local clergymen. They went to people who were considered likely to have an answer about conditions in their own area and there might have been too many local public officials in the pre-poor law era in, uh, in, in this part of the world. Does that make sense? Now, uh, there were changes <coughs> taking place uh, <coughs> uh, through the century, uh, particularly as a result of the famine. It would seem that the conditions as described here were pretty much extinct over most of Ireland in the post-famine period. It's only in Connacht and Clare that you have uh, the persistence of the type of conditions that I describe here. Elsewhere, um, the herding was uh, done on the basis of, of, of wages um, and by people classified as labourers 
oftentimes under, under supervision. But in the west of Ireland, the uh, archaic um, conditions persisted until the end of the occupation, if you like, or more or less at the, uh, at, at the beginning of the 20th century. Um, I just want to show, I, have, I don't know how clear all of this is. Uh, this is from the 1891 census. Uh, I'll tell you what's in it, uh, you mightn't be able to see at the back. It's a breakdown of the 6,333 people that returned themselves as shepherds in that census. There were others who returned themselves as herds who were not counted in that figure. This figure comes from the official return. Uh, so I worked with what the official return had. You can see that of all of the shepherds so described in Ireland in 1891, 41% of them were in the smallest province, the province of, of Connacht. Okay? Uh, 38% of them are in Leinster. Again, not surprising. Leinster is a, is, 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 is a known grazing area. Munster, rather low. Ulster, hardly any at all. Okay? Uh, by counties, almost one-fifth of all people who described themselves as shepherds in Ireland in 1891 were in County Galway. Significant numbers in the smaller county of Roscommon, uh, kind of equal in terms of population. I don't have Clare, I'm sorry, included in this. Mayo, Sligo, just very few in, in Sligo. So the main counties in which you have people describing themselves as shepherds uh, are those two counties of Galway and Roscommon. Is that, is that okay? Yeah. And within uh, the... Uh, Within county, counties Galway and Roscommon, I, I, I took out a few figures. This is probably Ty Quinn, was it? Uh, I haven't got that included in my table. Yeah, you're Mount Bellew Union here. So of all of the shepherds in Ireland, 3.5% <coughs> of them were in the Loughray Union. So very numerous in Loughray, probably about a tenth of all of those involved in agriculture were in this category. Uh, Ballinasloe, um, significant numbers. Uh, Chewham, likewise. Roscommon, we'll get into Roscommon, Castlereagh, and mm -hmm. the Un Roscommon Union are also um, have, are, have very large numbers uh, uh, of uh, a very high percentage of the total of Irish shepherds. Is that uh, yeah. clear yeah. enough? Is it? Yeah. 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 So that's something about the distribution. And uh, when I go on to the next part, if I still have you with me. Uh, I, uh, it'll explain uh, the pattern when they decide to establish an organisation, a trade union, as they did. It, it kind of shows why they did it in uh, particular places and not in others. Why it was in uh, North and East Galway and Roscommon that this happened rather than in other parts of the country. Because this is where this kind of critical mass, uh, there is the, uh, the greatest concentration uh, of the, in the occupation. <coughs> now, uh, why did they become organised as they did? Well, their occupation or their um, working conditions came under threat, and the occupation to some degree as well. Uh, the, uh, certainly, the shepherds liked the type of the, the working conditions they had and the discretion it gave them, the freedom it gave them to ride up on their horse to Valnesloe if they wanted. 
they weren't really answerable uh, to the clock. Um, they, and it gave them, um, uh, they, they, they were um, pressure on some of the improving uh, land holders and land owners uh, to change employment conditions uh, to, to make them wage workers, to proletarianise them, as the, the labour historian uh, might say. So they resisted uh, that. The other threat that uh, they faced in the um, later part of the 19th century was the rising movement of the tenant farmers, the Land League, uh, the National League, the United Irish League, and so on. Because, as I pointed out at the beginning, Irish nationalists in general disapproved of the type of, um, of agriculture um, that, they, that they worked in. Inefficient, um, very little employment, um, leading to a kind of drain off to America and, 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 and so on. Uh, so the Land League and generally the Tenants Farmers Movement uh, were opposed to uh, the uh, grazing system, as they called it, in its several manifestations, whether it was run by the landlords on their domain lands or whether it was operated by shopkeepers and others on the 11-month system uh, in, in, in taking several hundred acres here or there. Uh, um, um, so, uh, the, the, and obviously, uh, the tenants themselves, uh, the congested tenants of the West in particular, had their eye on the land that was used and they wanted it to be taken over and divided to make their own uh, small holdings uh, more economic. So, there's... Uh, uh, that's a kind of a general pattern over this period uh, from the 1880s, certainly, uh, that uh, the herds feel they need to protect themselves both from their employers and from the general trend in society, which is uh, threatening to make them uh, redundant or superfluous. Uh, and they, if there is to be a change, uh, they want to be organised in order to be in a position to emerge from it uh, with still and with still uh, some uh, resources. Now, there, was, um, there were some uh, uh, difficulties. Um, obviously, the, we know the tactic of the Land League using boycotts and so on, which was um, uh, made uh, things difficult enough for herds at times uh, to whether they continue to work for their employers when there's a boycott uh, and, 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 uh, and, 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 and so on. Uh, so, for that reason, they needed uh, protection. Uh, now, they came organised, as I said, in just a few places, uh, Roscommon and, and, uh, and Galway in any uh, significant way. And it was in Roscommon that the first uh, group became organised. Uh, you won't be able to read that, so I'd better read it for you. It's from The Nation, the uh, nationalist newspaper in 1882. Uh, 15th of April. A large and influential meeting of the herdsmen of the county Roscommon was held on Sunday last near the town of Tusk. There were upwards of 500 herdsmen present on the ancient hill of Cairn. There were seven members of the Irish constabulary present at the meeting. Amongst the herdsmen who addressed the meeting was Mr. T. Milet, who announced that the county convention would be held at Tusk on the 30th of April. This is of the, a new organisation. 
uh, and that two delegates from each parish respectively were asked to attend on the occasion. He told his friends not to be deterred for a moment by the recent threats used at the Grand Jury Room Roscommon as the proposed opposition organisation would probably prove a complete failure. Mr James Scott and Mr Michael McDermott also addressed the meeting. So that's uh, an early account of uh, a herds, the establishment of a herds organisation uh, in uh, Roscommon. Uh, it really emerges over that winter, late 81, early 1882. So the leader of the movement was an uh, old and respected herdsman, uh, James uh, Scott of Tulsk, I think. And uh, it's just in the wake of the Land League, and it's clear that it's intended to establish a national organisation because you have reports of herds from Galway and other places attending the meetings in uh, Roscommon. Now they printed their membership cards of their new association and they adopted a resolution setting down precisely what a herd should get uh, rather than leaving it approximate um, and I suppose uh, varying uh, depending on the uh, on the attitude of the employer. So, uh, the, for 80 acres, usually things had been considered in terms of 100 acres before that, but for 80 acres herded, they wanted 2 acres of uh, garden, the grazing of 2 cows, and £10 a year. Uh, strike notice was served quickly enough on employers who hadn't settled within a month of this meeting here by the 18th of May. The employers formed uh, the association that's referred to here, they called it the Roscommon Grazing Landholders Association, and it linked up with the Property Defence Association, which had been established to tackle the Land League to, uh, to provide labour uh, in the case of boycotts and so on. So the Property Defence Association uh, enters into uh, the uh, picture. Uh, <coughs> advertisements were placed in Scottish newspapers to bring in uh, replacements uh, for those striking herds. But uh, a number of the herds, def uh, the grazing for, uh, employers, defected very quickly, and um, the, there was strike action on only a small number of farms, in fact, because most of them gave in before the deadline of the 18th of, uh, of May. A lot of them, uh, smaller shopkeepers and so on, might have been connected with the nationalist and tenant movement, so it was political pressure would have, would have come uh, upon them. So it was only some of the more uh, stubborn who held out. But there were strikes, and uh, I just, um, and as you would have had in the um, pre-famine period of the agrarian secret societies, uh, threatening notices. This one, uh, strangely, was in Latin. <laughs> and it was scrawled on the house of a, a dismissed or evicted herd. Uh, does anybody know but, uh, but the, uh, they have the names of Latin, Jacobus, Neelan, that's James, <coughs> Neelan, Jacobus, Kilkelly, Jacobus, Beckett, uh, Patria, Mannion, so the uh, <laughs> Profidelibus pro Defuntus. I know it's kind of yeah. something I can't, uh, I can't remember the it's essentially made the Lord of mercy you know it's kind of as if they're dead already you're dead and they're, uh, the golden and the coffin are there uh, as if for those who don't uh, who don't understand the Latin okay so that's uh, a document from that 
uh, period which was sent off to Dublin Castle to show how terrible things had got in Roscommon. Uh, and none of the Scottish herds made an appearance, but you did have skirmishing through the summer and uh, autumn with intimidation, arrests and so on of the leading herds. In 1883, uh, to bring this story to uh, a, a conclusion, uh, there was a settlement and as part of the settlement, both the her Common Herds League and the Grazing Landholders Association agreed to dissolve their organisations. So, uh, no employers organisation, no herds uh, union after uh, this point. But when Roger Richards came ten years later, he found that the conditions that had been conceded uh, that, uh, in 1882 were still in force. Um, uh, the fee, I suppose uh, the uh, feeling being that the herds would get organised again if, if this was, was, was contravened. Now, uh, following the events in Roscommon, as I said, there were some visitors to, uh, uh, from uh, Galway. You have a series of meetings uh, taking place in a number of places in the east of the county. Um, there's Kilimer, which I've mentioned already, Kilconnell, uh, and uh, Loch Ray. Now, this culminated in a significant meeting in Bullard, uh, which, uh, so, which, which you know it's spelt, uh, uh, it's not usually spelt that way anymore, but. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, yeah. Uh, yes. So, this uh, announcement of the founding meeting of the uh, Galway Herds uh, uh, Association is uh, set for 8th of June uh, 18, uh, 1882. <coughs> now, uh, employers were uh, somewhat uh, perturbed by to see this poster all over all over East Galway. Uh, one of the employers, uh, the grazing employers, uh, you're probably familiar with that building, some of you. Yeah, uh, Turo House, uh, which is uh, the um, size of the Turo Stone, and uh, the um, and the, um, uh, the, the there's a pet for a, a farm, isn't there? For yeah, yeah. Farm, yeah. Uh, so um, he sent the poster off to Dublin Castle. So he certainly was was concerned about uh, the, the the threats uh, to uh, the uh, to to herding. So I found that in the chief secretary's papers, uh, which were uh, in are now in the national archives, um, and that's where you find most of the information about what's going on. Uh, is in the intelligence files, the reports that were sent by magistrates and others to Dublin Castle. There are some um, scattered reports in the local newspapers, but the most concentrated source, apart from the Agricultural Commission that I mentioned and the Roger Richards report from the Lottery area, is, is in these intelligence uh, reports. Uh, <coughs> now, developments in Galway follow the Roscommon pattern. You have a Galway Herdsmen's Association, as I said, established. Its headquarters were in Loch Ray. Subsequently, a separate organisation, which covered this area, uh, was established in uh, Chewham. Uh, <coughs> and the Graziers uh, uh, retaliated by establishing a Galway Grazing Landholders Association. Uh, for the herds, um, a man called Thomas Mahan of Masonbrook, employed by Smiths there, was uh, the leading, uh, the leading, uh, the, le the, the leading uh, figure. As in Roscommon, the uh, some graziers gave in. 
Now, one who didn't yield uh, was the man I mentioned earlier, the man with uh, a, a big vested, the biggest vested interest, if you like, uh, Joseph Hardy of Dartfield. Uh, and some of you know that there's a riding museum yeah. there now. Yeah. Where am I? Uh, oh yeah, well this is the <coughs> this is the uh, where the meeting of the of the, uh, the the first meeting of the founding meeting of the the employers the Graziers Association uh, took place uh, in Galway near Square. So this is Dartfield <coughs> House as it was in the 19th century. So he uh, the spokesman for his employer and he would have had a large number, possibly. Dozens of herds, if you think uh, that he had 6,000 acres. Uh, their spokesperson was a man called uh, Thomas Broder, and uh, he approached with the list of demands, uh, and uh, um, uh, Thomas Har or, um, um, Joseph Hardy says, will you go after that, and uh, sent him packing, and uh, for followed up by uh, sacking him, and, uh, um, and obviously a house is part of the employment contract, so if you're, if you're sacked, you're also evicted. And in general, herds made a lot of this uh, when, they were, uh, when they ran into trouble with their employers. Uh, they never referred to themselves as dismissed or sacked herds. They referred to themselves as evicted herds, because this resonated with the kind of agrarian discourse of grievance. Um, it was worse to be evicted than to be sacked, if you know what I mean, yeah. and you could get more sympathy. So they generally emphasise that aspect of it. Excuse me now. So, um, a strike uh, followed uh, uh, in reaction to the, to, the, to the dismissal, and uh, Hardy did bring some um, uh, replacement herdsmen uh, from, uh, down from County Armagh, they didn't have the necessary skills and um, they required enormous amount of police protection, as you'd imagine, given the dispersed nature of the... Uh, they, they can't mine them all together. They have to go out over his 6,000 acres. Um, so, um, fairly quickly, Hardy realised he couldn't win this one, so he summoned his herd's representatives to Darkfield and he offered... Uh, the going rate or something even uh, slightly above the, growing, uh, the going rate in the sense that he promised to build each of them a new cottage as well in addition to the, to the regular rate. So after that, for the following period, the Herds Association rules uh, with regard to collops and gardens and the rest of it prevailed throughout uh, County Galway. Police said that this was due to intimidation and violence, and there's some of that uh, clearly. The main reason for the herd's success was the relative scarcity of their skills. They weren't that easily uh, replaced, so they could strike their own bargain. And they also were able to maintain solidarity. There was some sort of a, um, a kind of herd identity or whatever that, one, that in general uh, people uh, 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 observed. Now, these uh, disputes of 82, 83 are the only widespread herds disputes. Though, unlike the Roscommon herds, the Galway ones remained organised during the following two, uh, uh, two uh, decades. I'll uh, <coughs> move on uh, having, without going into such detail. Uh, you have occasional um, 
indignation meetings about individual cases of injustices against a particular um, herd, so there is agitation, public meetings and so on, but uh, with, there isn't any widespread um, kind of collective grievance uh, put over the following decades. A particular uh, cause of um, grievance you find uh, is in relation to the passing of a herding from one generation to the next. So a herdman, herdsman dies, he has nobody uh, over six to take over. Uh, the expectation of the herd, the social expectation in that context was the widow became the herd. And about 10% of the shepherds that I listed or that I showed earlier are women. In general, the women themselves aren't doing the work. They employ a herdsman to do it, but essentially to, uh, until the, the, the young fellow is in a position. So it's like most skilled work at that period. It's seen as a male occupation, but it was seen as important that... Uh, that they were seen as kind of uh, almost hereditary or that it was passed in the same way as a tenant was uh, on, 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 the, on the land. Now, in 1891, the Loch Ray Association claimed 400 members, uh, which was all but a few in its uh, catchment area, and there was a group in Chewham which probably had about the same uh, type of uh, number. In general, they took care to maintain good relations with the tenant farmers movement, the Land League and its successors. They didn't accept into membership, for example, uh, people who were <coughs> herding on grazing farms which were created from Land League era evictions. So uh, that was about protecting the reputation of the, of the group, I suppose. And there were rules also about admission that if you weren't herd by 1880, then we couldn't accept you into member if your family wasn't involved. So they kind of had a closed shop in that, in that respect. But a lot of that was about uh, protecting themselves in the context of the disturbances uh, of that era of, uh, of conflict uh, around, uh, during uh, the plan of campaign and, uh, and, 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 and so on. Now, uh, there's, uh, I want to look at the movement that covered this area reached this far for a moment uh, and that's the Chewham, uh, the North Galway Herds Association. Again, I'm, I didn't expect people would be so far from the screen or I'd have made my letters a little bit bigger. I don't know how far back you can read the rules there. Can, how, can you read them at the very back? No? Yeah, yeah okay. Uh, that's, uh, you don't need uh, an explanation of the first rule. I'll just draw attention to a few of them. Uh, rather than reading through the whole lot. Uh, <coughs> that in the case of sickness, the committee will supply a man to look after the stock or assist. So this is a kind of um, a social benefit in the era before um, <coughs> national insurance. Um, fences or ditches on farms be kept in repair or the herd will not be accountable for any loss after duly reporting same. So they accepted their responsibilities but not if the uh, owner or the, um, the grazier didn't keep, keep the place in order. Uh, what do I see? In case of debt, all members contribute five shillings each which will be lodged in the hands of two trustees for the widow or family or parents, etc. Um, they left this bit blank, presumably because it was variable. They hoped it would go up. 
every herd to have three acres of tillage ground. Shearing comes under Rule 5. I wasn't able to figure that out, even with the help of my father-in-law, who knew everything about, about these matters. Um, any member wrongfully dismissed, no one to take his place, or no members to take stock or have any dealings with the employer. Um, <coughs> committees, funds lodged in trustees. Um, the owner is bound to keep the herd's house and offices in repair. I'm possibly missing out a, a significant uh, one or two. But anyway, sort of rules that you kind of expect of, of an association. What we do have, we're lacking enough in details of committees and so on, but uh, the committee of the Chewham Herdsmen's Association was published in the Chewham Herald in 1994, so we can look at some names here. Uh, again, uh, we have some... Uh, some of the names are quite common, so it's difficult to know. Uh, the, the committee uh, were given as representing particular parishes, but the officers weren't. I do know... Uh, Murti Fahey, Murti isn't that common, and I, I'm in touch with his, 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 his kind of a relation anyway. But um, uh, some of the others, Haverty, the secretary, was Kilbannon, to the best of my knowledge. Uh, Tracy, Michael Tracy, was from uh, Dunmore. And we see the other parishes around Corrigan, right down to Clonburn, which is probably the closest we get to here on the list, is that right? Yeah, Yes. So I took um, out uh, <coughs> uh, 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 T.D. Kelly's census form so that we can have a look at it. There he is. Um, and I, I, made it, I, I, I enlarged it as well uh, for a section. I don't know how clear the census form is. You can see he's 67, um, Roman Catholic, and uh, he has uh, um, uh, a large-ish uh, family. Uh, yeah, there's a few uh, details. It seems he was uh, employed close enough to here at Lochel Clonkeen. I don't know if people know that town land. Yeah. Uh, in 1901. Uh, just looking, uh, there's uh, very few people living in Lochel. I'm not sure if that's the case. Am I pronouncing it right? Lochel. Uh, there's three families. Obviously, most of the town land is taken up with a large grazing fur. And. Uh, He's uh, employed by uh, Dominic Brown. Uh, now, with regard to, I suppose, why you might look at the census, it tells you details about the circumstances of people. Um, the house, so the house he's living in is a good uh, second-class house, which is the type of house that a, a comfortable, an, ordinary, an average farmer uh, would have lived in at the time. And everybody in the <coughs> townland lives in uh, such a house. Um, he had more outhouses, though, than his, than his farming neighbours, which suggests he had more uh, going on. Uh, he had five outhouses, and uh, he had a calf house and a pig. What was it? Uh, neither of his neighbours had a barn or a, or, or a calf house in, in that particular town. That so, uh, just to give uh, some sense of his uh, of his of his uh, of his circumstances, uh, he did die soon afterwards. And he did have some land uh, in uh, 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 not too far. I don't know if anybody knows that town land, uh, Gortagoron. Gortagoron, is it? Yeah. Uh, so he had a couple of acres there. Uh, some herds would have had uh, 
land because of marriage with, into farming families and so on. Uh, so uh, after several generations because of marriage patterns. So I, 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 we don't know that that's, I don't know uh, anything more about the man than, uh, than, than what I'm telling you here. Uh, closer to here, I just found a reference to a herd just over the wall here, is it? Um, this is uh, in the Jameson, uh, the Jameson estate, uh, Windfield. Uh, so this is just an ad placed in the Tune Herald in 1900, um, which gives the name of the herd, uh, uh, Richard Bohan. Um, now, interestingly, by that point, uh, Richard Bohan, uh, well, by the following year, a year later, when he fills the census form, he's a farmer. So there is his brother, I think, is, a, is listed as a herd. So this kind of transition is, is happening uh, uh, in the occupation uh, uh, by, 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 that, by that particular point. I just thought I'd, uh, I'd, I'd uh, just um, introduce a few personalities uh, there. At Winfield near my loch, Deer Park Lime Kiln Field and Deer Park Paddock, all in one farm, containing about 45 acres, one something, prime grazing land from 1st of May 1900. Particulars apply to Raoul Joyce, uh, the receiver, he's an auctioneer in Galway, isn't that right? And... Uh, Richard Bohan heard Winfield will show the land. Okay. Yeah. Great grandfather. Is that right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Good. <laughs> okay. I chose. That was, yeah. So uh, there were. Um, yeah, so are they still? Is the family? Is the far family still around? Okay. Somewhere around. Yeah. Yeah. Now. Uh, <coughs> So, just to move on to kind of the last part, I don't know how I'm getting on time-wise. Have I gone over at this stage? Yeah, thank you. Right. So, there's a burst of activity by the herds associations um, uh, um, around uh, 1989 after the establishment of the uh, United Irish League. Uh, the United Irish League's principal aim on its founding was to break up the grazing farms so that, it'd be, uh, so that there would be land for division among con congested uh, uh, tenants. So this has uh, implications for the herd's livelihood, so they get organised again. Something of the atmosphere of the time is conveyed in this ballad, which was collected from a, a ballad singer in, uh, in Galway. It's called The Grazier Tribe, How Appalling These People uh, Are Essentially and urging the, um, the tenants uh, to, to get up and, uh, and, 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 and uh, get, get rid of them. Uh, what is it? O ye men in name, have ye no shame to see this beauteous land turned into one vast wilderness by a cursed grazier band? This land so kind was ne'er designed by providence and high to keep John Bull with mutton full by the native starve and die. I could sing that. Sing it. Sing it. So, uh, one of the tactics they use um, the, um, is uh, the cattle drive. And I understand there was one reprise not so far from here in Mylock um, a, a few years ago. 
So essentially the way of taking on the graziers, <coughs> the people holding land on large scale on the 11-month system was uh, to, um, to open the gates at night and drive the stock off miles uh, just to disrupt the, the economy. Um, so you have the herds kind of uh, organising themselves, but also uh, in anticipation of the, um, of, of the change uh, that was coming. There was an interesting dispute. I know that I'm running, out, I'm, running uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm talking for nearly an hour now, so I'd better, <laughs> I'd better draw this um, uh, to a conclusion. An interesting dispute in um, the Ashtown, um, uh, in uh, Lord Ashtown's estate Woodlawn. Uh, where he dismissed all the herds and brought in Scottish uh, herds uh, because they wouldn't accept becoming a wage workers, if you like. And uh, that's more or less the last big dispute involving the uh, Herds Association. At that point, uh, the United Irish League, and I'm not going into um, detail, had a role in, uh, was the influential body with regard to uh, land uh, division. So, by and large, the herdsmen uh, jo began to join the, dom the tenant farmer organisation. <coughs> the legislation of uh, the Wyndham Act uh, recognised claims of estate employees uh, to in um, divisions, uh, the, the division of land. Uh, so, a lot of the herds, uh, as, the, uh, as things went forward, were able to claim a portion of the land of which they had, which they had herded. And uh, some of them claimed uh, quite a substantial portion. There was a general perception they're doing better than they should be. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, uh, so uh, that's uh, kind of the end. We're coming towards the end of the occupation. I have another slide here which kind of shows this. Uh, this is I don't again how um, uh, just a Google or a search on the 1911 uh, uh, 1901 census of the District Electoral Division of Derry Glosson, which is either covers this area or comes very close. Yes, yep. uh, so there are 10 return themselves as herdsmen in that um, um, District Electoral Division in uh, 1901. There's only two by 1911. So this uh, shows <coughs> the kind of um, the effects of the uh, legislation of the Windham Act and the take-up of the Windham Act and the division of the 11-month uh, land and indeed uh, the domain land uh, that was taking place. So you can see quite an abrupt uh, change taking place. As I said, <coughs> most of the um, herds ended up getting, um, getting, uh, getting, uh, getting uh, their own uh, place. So, in most instances, that's relatively unproblematic. But it's not um, where the, where the um, process of the division of um, estates was uh, de delayed, or of grasslands was, de or was delayed, or where it was suspended as it was during the First World War. Frustration might build up among the tenant farmers about, uh, about this and the fact that they didn't have access to the grazing land. Um, so the, this resulted in protests, violence, and so on, and resulted in, uh, in killings, including of uh, some herds. That was in, in a number of, of instances. Um, and uh, this kind of frustration, it was particularly slow in the parts of Galway around the Athenry area, and it was a factor in the kind of mobilisation, the building of the volunteers that took place 
in the run-up to the uh, to the 1916 rising. So the position after 1911, after 1914 certainly, of herds who were still herds because they were on these controversial um, estates where the landlord was slow or, or for whatever reason, uh, then life could be uncomfortable. And I just want to finish by looking at uh, the discomfort in uh, one uh, community or in one family uh, which was my wife's family, because she's, she's over there somewhere. Uh, this is uh, Thomas Glynn, of, uh, a shepherd of Mullochmore West, uh, my lock, County Galway. And this event that I'm just going to finish with was commemorated uh, by the group uh, there uh, a number of uh, years ago. <coughs> now, the, um, and Jimmy, it was Jimmy Laffey that drew this to my attention, I think, in the first instance. Isn't that right? Um, so... Um, <coughs> The, um, um, on the 29th of April uh, 1916, the day Pierce surrendered in Dublin and Mellows disbanded his force, his force at Lyme Park, the United Irish League uh, arranged a cattle drive, which is the characteristic form of uh, agrarian protest at this period, on a farm held by Patrick uh, Fleming from the landlord Charles O'Rourke uh, at Mullochmore. The protesters removed 20 cattle, 55 yoles, 41 hoggets and 43 lambs from the farm. They abandoned them some miles away near Fleming's home and replaced them with their own stock, drove their own stock onto the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the land. Subsequently, the herd, this man here, uh, Thomas Glynn, who was the father of the Tom Glynn that I quoted earlier, uh, was obliged to testify against 13 of his uh, neighbours. Uh, four of whom served nine uh, uh, weeks in Galway jail uh, for their efforts. Now, if there was lingering resentment, uh, um, it didn't prevent Glynn from claring, claiming a share of the grazing farm um, uh, as his own a few years later, alongside the people he testified against. And uh, if we can believe his obituary in the Tuam Herald in 1950, he enjoyed a good uh, life after, and I quote from the obituary, he farmed a nice, comfortable farm of excellent land, and he and his family had the best and earliest crops in the parish. He was much sought after in the treatment of sick livestock, again, uh, a point I made earlier, uh, at which he was most successful. He will be much missed, not only by his widow, son, daughter-in-law and friends, but by his neighbours, to whom he was always kind and helpful. Except this one. <laughs> there was a large following uh, to the family uh, burial ground. Now, like Thomas Glynn, most West of Ireland herds became uh, farmers, owners of their own property within a couple of decades of the uh, Windham Act of 1903. <coughs> Evidence suggests um, that uh, they passed a sense of their herd identity as well as their skill with animals uh, to the following generations and that many of their descendants became noted breeders of cattle and sheep, prize winners at um, uh, agricultural uh, shows and so on. So it's an interesting uh, occupation then, people operating in a specialised um, and very commercialised part of the uh, 19th century Irish economy, which depended on rail and steam to get the product off to uh, the breakfast table in Manchester or wherever, yet it was run on a set of arrangements that were centuries old in the west of Ireland, the customs, and, and so on. And herds defended those conditions in the late 19th century because it gave them independence and it gave them uh, status. 
and uh, they knew how to work these arrangements to get the most out of them for their own, uh, in, in their own economic uh, benefits. Uh, they organised themselves because farmers, landlords and everyone else in rural Ireland uh, was organising themselves at the time and their organisation enabled them uh, to successfully negotiate the transition uh, that took place in rural Ireland in the late 19th and early uh, 20th century. If there were a militant bunch, uh, they were probably no more so than other groups in uh, society. Their strikes of 1882 in Roscommon and Galway sent out to the message, sent out the message to the graziers in particular, you don't mess with the herds. Okay, that's all. Thank you very much.